and welcome to Terror on the Clock. The title of today's episode is Human Two Block. However, before we get started, if you are intrigued by bizarre stories involving workplace or industrial-related accidents, failures, or near misses, then you've come to the right podcast, and we record every 10 to 14 days. So, if this interests you, then we'd like you to cable down, boom up, or telescope out on the like subscribe button so as to never miss a story or an upload. Now, a word from our sponsor. RHDC is a national leader in construction and industrial-based training. We offer CCO prep courses in all variations of mobile crane as well as tower crane, lattice boom crawler, articulating boom crane and loader, rigging level 1 and 2, signal person, and, coming soon, telehandler or extend reach forklift prep classes. So whether a new career for you, the individual, or needing training for your entire crew, call us at 318-330-9000 or find us at rhtcinc.com. Again, 318-330-9000 or find us at rhtcinc.com. God bless. And now, let's get into today's story. Warning. The following contains stressful subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to Terror on the Clock. Here is your host, the one and only. Please remember, listener discretion is advised. So, if you started in the great port town of Aberdeen, Scotland, for some reason, you find yourself there, and you were to hop in a boat, and you were to make your way eastward, depending on, I guess, weather and how fast you were going out on that boat, somewhere between seven to ten hours, you know, based on an average you know, nautical-type speed, you would find yourself coming across this massive structure sticking up out of the ocean, and you would be in awe of it. Trust me. Now, this site that you would surely be in awe of looks like a structure that's kind of a cross between maybe a construction site or an oil refinery or even like a from a distance like a living quarters. And it protrudes up out of the ocean on four massive steel stilts. And it's known as Magellan. And it is an offshore oil rig. Now, most of us know that the workers that, that work and live in the quarters on these offshore oil rigs are known as roughnecks. Now, if you Google the definition of roughneck, you get a couple of different things. So, one would be a, a noun, a rough or uncouth person, and you've probably heard Older people refer to people as, as roughnecks. It's not a term that we use today a, a lot, but only when we use it, we are referring to those that are in the oil industry, people that work on oil rigs, whether it be land or at sea. We refer to them as roughnecks, and it's an 
oil rig worker. That's what we call them. That's what they've always been known as. And it is a job of jobs. Not many people seek out to do this work. It's very labor intensive. It's very long hours. It's sometimes, sometimes can be boring at times. You know, days and days out there at sea, not a lot going on. But by God, when it heats up and it gets dangerous, it's known is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. So the downside to being a roughneck is you get the brunt of all the work, obviously. You get the dirty work. You are the hands-on guy. You are sort of, in a way, you are the, the body of the oil rig. You are the spine, if you will. You keep it going. However, petroleum engineer project manager, chemical engineer, drilling consultant, gas plant operator, environmental manager, environmental manager, sorry, all those people make so much of a better salary than you, but you watch yourself as the roughneck, do all the work, you do all the labor, you take all the risk, and quite frankly, that's why a lot of these guys are ticked off all the time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They should be. It's a very demanding, very stressful, very, very hard job at times. And again, I want to repeat, when it's not, it's a cakewalk sometimes. But when it's tough, there's no job anywhere that's as tough as being a roughneck. So 41-year-old Gordon Moffat was as good a roughneck as any. Gordon had been a roughneck for many years. He was the epitome of a roughneck, a professional one at that. And he was very good at what he did. Everyone said so. His coworkers said so. His supervisor said so. There was nobody less combative, more of a team player than Gordon. That's just what he did. When his name was called, he just got up and did what he had to do. He was the epitome, the epitome, the embodiment, if you will, of what a roughneck would be. A man that is willing to do whatever it takes for the team and a man that would do the lowest of the low jobs when his number is called. Now, Gordon was from Buckhaven Fife in Scotland, and he was, as I said earlier, 41 years old. He was married, and he was a father of two. Now, If any of you men listening can imagine, no matter at what age you are, no matter whether you're a father, a a grandfather, both, your children and your grandchildren are your life. And obviously, it was no different with Gordon. His children, his family, was his life. Now, Gordon's primary job was to perform maintenance on the drill. But keep in mind, a roughneck's job in an, on an oil rig out in the middle of the sea is different than, say, uh, the job of a, of a rigger or an oiler here on land on a crane. Keep in mind, you never know what the weather's going to do. And even when you think you have notification, you don't. Things happen. Mother Nature, as we've said before, ah, what a B-word she is. So, That adds to the danger of the roughneck job as it is. You never know, never know what's going to strike as far as 
Mother Nature is concerned. There is absolutely no predicting that. So these offshore oil rigs, normally, they have a habit of working pretty properly most of the time. But like anything else, anything that's man-made, anything that runs at long intervals is going to break down. Here's the downside of that. Here's the just unflinching truth of that fact, that when they are not sucking oil, when they are not getting product out of the sea, they are losing money. And so just like any other company out there, when they're down, it's a problem. When they're down, there's an urgency. So to say there's an urgency means they're losing money. And it's a known thing as a roughneck that as soon as one of these things break down and your name is called, you get up, you get going. Because the company, the the overall conglomerate that owns this equipment out of the middle of the sea cannot be down. Every moment they're down is disastrous financially. Now, the sad part about this is, again, as said before, when your name is called, when this thing goes down, there's no, well, let's wait. Like on land, we, you know what, guys? Let's let the weather clear. We're going to wait a little bit, you know, in, in, on the side of safety. Those guys can't do that. When it's down, their number is called to act immediately. It doesn't matter that Mother Nature has decided to have 40-mile-an-hour winds. It doesn't matter that she's raining sideways. It makes no difference that it's raining sideways and 40-mile-an-hour winds, not to mention lightning, not to mention the deck is slick, there's oil residue everywhere. It's exactly what you would think. It's what they said in the movie Armageddon. It's the worst environment imaginable at times. Worst environment imaginable. So, speaking of that, on the night of October 9th, Gordon had just got back to his living quarters. He was literally about stripped down to his nighttime wear. When call came in that there was an issue. And what did Gordon do? Like every time he got the call, no complaints. He got up, he got back dressed and headed to the problem. So Gordon was summoned to the main deck area. Now the main deck area is this metal deck area where the the drill itself passes down through and you're on you could be on all four sides of it. So this was the area where Gordon was told to report to figure out how to fix the problem that was causing the stoppage at the time. So when Gordon got to this area, he was met by some of his coworkers, coworkers that he had worked with for years and years. Uh, they would do this often. The problem would come up. They would report. Uh, they they would they would meet with each other at the area at the, the area of work, if you will, and they would report to each other what the problem is, how they recommend fixing it, have they done it before? This is what we ought to do. Sort of like a a, a pre job meeting, if you will. Now, this particular area uh, of problem was cabling, and I mean like wire rope cable. The problem was was it was right below the main deck to where this cabling need to be repaired and worked on. But it wasn't accessible 
from the main deck. So Gordon, in order to get to this cabling, would need to go down one floor from the main deck. So essentially, it's like Gordon would hop in an elevator, go down one floor, which is the floor right below the main deck. And at that point, the crew up on the main deck would then pass down a line that had a harness hooked to it. Gordon would then get in that harness and he would be retracted upward to the area right below the main deck where the cabling need to be repaired. Now, in order to pass this cabling down to Gordon, it would need to go through from the main deck, the crew above, would would force, if you will, they would f force the harness through this hole called a mouse hole. Because, of course, the harness is wider and bulkier and whatnot. But once it got through there, the line itself, the cable itself, that would be holding Gordon, well, it passed through with no problem. You know, this cable was half inch in diameter. So to go through a 10-inch hole was nothing. However... It had to pass through this mouse hole. Again, that's a 10-inch by 10-inch hole, and I don't know what that is metric-wise, and I know that's where they're out there doing it, but I just know it's a 10-inch by 10-inch hole. That is what the cable went down through before it got to Gordon. Now, once Gordon got the harness on himself and he was ready to go, Gordon would look up because he could see the crew on the main deck through that mouse hole. And the crew on the main deck could see him down through that mouse hole. So when Gordon said, okay, I'm ready, they would then look up to the winch operator who was on several floors up above and give them the cable up signal, which if you're a crane person, uh, you know what that hand signal is. But in this case... They could give him the signal and, you know, even yell out, cable up. But this particular night, it was very windy. It was noisy. So working by voice was not going to be an option. So they would have to give that winch operator hand signals. So once Gordon got everything into place, he sat in the harness and he gave them the thumbs up as if ready to go. They relayed, the, on the main deck, they relayed back up to the winch operator that is a couple floors or so up above the main deck. Hey, ready to roll, and they're giving the cable up signal. Now, they're giving him the cable up signal with their hand, but they're looking down at Gordon, and Gordon would tell them, hey, stop, right there is good. And so, at that point, Gordon says, oh, that's good, to which they relay up to the operator, uh, hey, that's good. So to repeat that, Gordon is below the main deck. He's hooked to this harness. He's looking up through that mouse hole at his co-workers. His co-workers are watching him. When Gordon tells them, hey, cable me up, the guys on the main deck, by way of hand signal, would be signaling the winch operator that was above the main deck. And at which point Gordon said, well, I'm good. They would... Gordon would give the stop signal. The guys on the main deck would then relay it to the winch operator or hoist operator, and all functions would stop. So 
Gordon and his co-workers had done maintenance in this area on cable, amongst other things, using this winch system many times. So it was nothing that they were green at. And when I mean green, it was nothing that they were rookies at. It's nothing that they had not done. They had worked together for many years. They knew each other really well. They even kind of knew each other's nuances. As I've always said before, it's kind of a brotherhood in, in any sort of construction or industry-related jobs that you begin to kind of know one another like you begin to kind of can look at each other and can tell you know hey I, I can tell you know Kevo is is thinking something we need to stop a second I can tell Kevo is is kind of confused about something or or you can you can look at crane operators and tell hey you know maybe this load weighs more than we think it does because crane operator has this this look about him or, or whatever you really begin to to get to know one another based on these little nuances, facial expressions, you know, your tone of voice, you kind of, as I've said before, you learn to kind of be one step ahead of each other a lot of times, and it's very important to a crew that you have that camaraderie, and this crew had that. So, Gordon is by this time in place. Now, the wind is whipping through, you know, the open floors of this offshore oil rig so it's not like Gord is just sitting still and this is just a you know quote-unquote breeze no pun intended however Gordon is moving and swaying kind of side to side because though as we said the wind out there is extremely unpredictable and it, there's nothing you can do to combat it when there's wind there's wind it, it just causes extra movement that you have to learn to accommodate for. You have to learn to just improvise, adapt, and overcome that. I know that old saying is, you know, from the Clint Eastwood movie that we all say time and time again, but that's literally what these roughnecks had to do. They just have to improvise, adapt to that, and overcome it. They can't stop these repairs from being done because as we said earlier, when these repairs need to be done, there's no revenue being generated, and that's a bad thing. Now, as we've established, uh, there's the, the obligatory wind blowing. Gordon is hanging in his harness apparatus, and above him on the main deck, through the mouse hole, his co-workers are watching him intently. So, Gordon gets to a point to where the repairs are made. He's done. Doesn't need to do any more of these repairs. So he then looks up at his at his co-workers who are on the main deck, and he sees them through the mouse hole, and Gordon gives them the, okay, we're good, which means ready to be lowered. So you can take me back down to where I can get out of this harness. So his co-workers who are on the main deck give hand signal to the hoist operator who is a couple of decks above them. And as they give this hand signal, the hoist operator did not disengage or engage the actuator that would make the drum turn the opposite direction. So, when given the signal to cable down, they give the signal, the hoist operator, who by way of the same lever, goes up and down, just by way of the actuator, would determine which way it goes, did not engage that actuator. So when he gets into the lever, 
Gordon begins going upward. Now, at first, he doesn't panic because he's got, you know, several feet, and it's not like the the winch or the hoist is going at some blazing speed. He's not at all in a panic yet. However, he is kind of frustrated and giving, you know, the body language of, hey, you know, hey, all right, come on, come on, down, down. Why, why are we going up? And his coworkers can see that. And they begin looking upward at the hoist operator as if to, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? But the hoist operator had turned his back. He thought his actuator was engaged, and he didn't think another thing about it. He just knew that once the lever to cable Gordon down was engaged, it would be several, several seconds before he would be needed to pay attention again. So, they're in a very, very bad situation. So, they're in this dire situation, and they cannot get the attention of the hoist operator. And Gordon can see up through this mouse hole that his co-workers on the main deck understand the situation he's in too. They can look at each other and tell, this is not good. Okay, this is, this is getting awfully close now. What is going on? But by way of trying to see the hoist operator, they can't make contact with him. He's not paying attention. No one understands why this is not stopping. But all they know is this cable is steadily winding and winding and winding, hoisting Gordon. And hoist means up. And for every second that goes by that Gordon continues to go up, he's getting closer and closer to that 10 by 10 mouse hole. His co-workers are in sheer terror now. They understand what they're about to witness, and they cannot seem to get the attention of the hoist operator to stop this function. So they are now within a couple of feet of seeing the most awful, horrific thing that they could ever imagine seeing. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing they can do to stop this. The hoist operator simply is and is nowhere to be located. Gordon and his co-workers understand the sheer terror that is about to unfold in front of them. They understand that every second that goes by, Gordon gets a few inches closer and closer and closer and closer to the bottom side of that main deck. And standing there through that mouse hole, seeing Gordon's eyes and Gordon looking back at them, there is absolutely nothing they can do. His co-workers would say when Gordon got within a foot or so, he would even bring his knees up and put his arms out as if trying to stop himself from being cabled up into the bottom side of that main deck area. Obviously, the knees 
in the outstretched arms of a human being would never be able to stop or withstand the pressure of half-inch hoist cable winding at a slow, methodical pace. And right in front of his co-workers, Gordon let out a blood-curdling scream, a scream of agony that they will never, ever, ever be able to unhear. They will never be able to not hear that sound of Gordon absolutely doing everything that he could humanly do to stop himself from being too blocked into the bottom side of that main deck. And as his co-workers watched on, that is exactly what would happen. The medical examiner would say that before the function was finally stopped, before the hoist operator finally saw that someone was trying to get his attention, it would completely sever Gordon's spine. The medical examiner would say it was one of the most horrific autopsies that he had ever performed. A co-worker would say when Gordon's body finally came to a stop it looked like a, a, a handful is how he put it a handful or a bunch of rags just stuffed up in a hole. So a father of two and a husband senselessly, absolutely dies a horrific death. And why? Why'd it happen? It happened because somebody got complacent. Somebody got the idea, oh, well, the, job, the, the hard part's done, this job's over, and they turn their back. Not understanding that you have to see the process through. You have to see it through. Now, it's easy for us to sit here, right? It's easy for us to sit here and say, well, boy, they should have done this, they should have done that. It is. It is. And I hate that we're that way. I, I hate that that's the way it is. But that's the way it is. See, as people that work in the industry and people that understand that these things can happen, we are taught. It's an... It, it's almost, not only are we taught it, but it's taught to us at such a level that it's almost like it's innate, like it's just in us, to never just assume anything. To never, ever get complacent. Complacency is a major, major cause, major cause of accidents, all over the globe when it comes to equipment, forklift, cranes, backhoes, trackhoes, this, it, it's overhead, it doesn't matter. Complacency is one of the top three causes of accidents. 
All the hoist operator had to do was pay attention. All he had to do was keep his eyes on the job, keep it on the task at hand. Just pay attention. Like of all the things you can do at your job, the one thing that we can all do that you don't have to be good. You don't have to be better than the next guy. You don't have to compete with the other guy at just paying attention. Like your best ability is your availability. And that's not just showing up, but it's mentally being there, paying attention. I can't imagine what those coworkers went through. I can't imagine what they saw. I cannot. I really do. When when I read the story, I read it several times, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It 100% messed with me. Like I'm trying to imagine what they must have heard and seen, and 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 I don't envy. Um, I don't envy them because well, it it, it didn't happen to them at least. I can't imagine what I see the rest of my life when I close my eyes at night if I have to watch a coworker go through that. I can't imagine I can't imagine how I feel if I'm the guy at that lever up there. If I'm the man operating that hoist, how would you feel? I think I think from tragedy, we can eventually find purpose. We can find a reason to talk about the tragedy. And I think this is one of those instances where you hate to do it this way, but that's how we have to do it. We have to say, how would you feel if you're the man behind that lever? I cannot imagine any of us ever, ever would want to see how that felt to be the guy to be the one that turned their back and got complacent and you didn't see or hear any of that. All you know is when you turn around, you're looking down and these people are looking frantic and your coworkers are looking frantic at you and you're like, oh man, what, what's going on? They saw something that they can never unsee and it was because you turned your back. None of us want to be that person. And I tell you now, as a man that's been in this industry that has worked with good men in this industry too, I promise you, I truly believe that when you're standing there by your brother in construction, by your brother at arms, by we're all children of God. When you're standing there with them and you see something coming their way, I do also believe it's an innate trait for men to want to take the brunt of what's happening away from other men. If we could jump in the way and let it hurt us, we would. Because when you're out there with these men for months and years and years and years, you develop you develop a brotherhood that is unlike anything and that doesn't matter if you're on an oil rig or your own land it doesn't matter 
you work with the same crew for a long time. You develop a relationship and a bond that can't be broken until you break it by getting complacent and being the reason that one of your brothers don't get to go home to their family. That Gordon didn't get his 30 days off. 30 days on, 30 days off. Gordon didn't get his next 30 days off. Now think about it. It's a little dramatic, right? Right? No. What, what if it's October? You know, what if he had an anniversary coming up? What if there was a school break? What if they had a trip to Disney planned? What if they had, what, what, what is, you know, what's it? Think about the guilt you would have, not just in being the reason that your coworker died, but the reason that your coworker's children will never see their dad again. No, thank you. I do not want that guilt. I am never going to say never because that's a dangerous thing to say. But I will do everything in my power, everything in my power, to never be the reason that someone's children do not get to see them at the end of the day or at the end of their shift or at the, uh, or at, or at the end of their days on or days off or whatever it is. I don't want to be that reason. Don't be that reason. Do not get complacent. Pay attention to the last second. Matter of fact, be paying attention. Be paying attention so much that somebody has to say, hey, hey, we're done now. Like you, you can you can step away from the levers. Well, I just want to make a hundred percent. I mean, th there's nothing wrong with that. Be the reason that somebody always calls on calls on you to be the man at those levers. You know, why, why, why do we want Phil? Well, because Phil never takes his eyes off the job. He's never going to put us in a bind. He never engages in any other activity. He doesn't care about anything else except what's going on. That's why we call on Phil. So, at the end of the day, this story is tragic for so many reasons. The loss of a dad, the loss of a husband, co-workers having to see something that they can never unsee. It's like a bell that can't be unrung. They are now twisted in a way that can't be untwisted. Those men can never unsee that again. And the hoist operator who didn't see it, who didn't hear it, who didn't look in Gordon's eyes, didn't hear the scream that he let out. If he's any kind of, any kind of person with a conscience, that's going to eat at him for the rest of his life. We wonder how his family is affected. It's a domino effect. Do not be that first domino. When you fall, it can cause so many other things to fall that you have no idea are even going to happen. So I beg you, all of us, every one of us, need to pay close attention to this story. And remember, we are all, we are all human. None of us are perfect, no. 
We're not. And this right here could happen to any of us if for a second, for a second, we take our mind off what we're doing. The title of today's story was The Human Two Block. Guys, remember, if you're intrigued by bizarre stories involving workplace or industrial-related accidents, failures, or near misses, then you've come to the right podcast. Terror on the Clock is for you, and we record every 10 to 14 days or so. So, if this is of interest to you, then we'd like you to cable down, boom up, or telescope out on the like or subscribe button. That's just another way of saying click the like and subscribe button in a fancy schmancy way. So, as to never miss a story or an upload. So, remember, Terror on the Clock, every 10 to 14 days, check us out. I hope you'll share this in hopes of helping each other remember the importance of staying in the game mentally no matter what's going on around you. It's important to let a man like Gordon's uh, 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 death not go in vain, to know that a man that worked hard, that had a family, that his death does not go by the wayside. To our sponsor, RHTC, remember for all your crane operator training, needs your cco prep classes or just your osha qualification uh, prep classes whatever it may be give them a call rhtc 318-330-9000 again 318-330-9000 or check them out online at rhtcinc.com again rhtcinc.com and until next time i am kevo your host this has been terror 